Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. Now, I don't know how, what kind of dad you, you guys had. Uh, I mean, I guess I know some of your fathers, but uh, my dad, I read a, a little simple joke uh, the other day that reminded me of my dad, who I miss dearly. Uh, I'd love to be able to have him around still, uh, but the Lord... The Lord sees the beginning from the end or the end from the beginning and chose to take my father many, many years ago, and I still miss him. I honor him today, even though he is no longer with us. He was a a great dad to me, and I've always wondered how he became such a great dad uh, because he grew up pretty much without a father from the age of seven. But you know what? He had some great men in his life that were father figures to him. And the Bible tells us that the Lord is a father to the fatherless. And so even if there are, you're here today and you don't have a dad on this earth anymore, you still have a heavenly father that loves you very much. But my dad was very, uh, he was kind of a one of a kind. He was pretty tight with the money. And, and I read this joke and it reminded me of my dad. There was this kid that was sitting in school and the teacher asked him, he said, now, if you had one dollar in your hand and you went and you asked your father for another dollar, how many, how many many dollars would you have? And the the little boy said, one. And the teacher said to him, said, well, you don't know your math very well. And the little boy looked at the teacher and said, well, you don't know my father very well. (laughs) Uh, My dad was never known to, to, to give big handouts, uh, but there were times when he could be so generous, so generous. And I watched him give, and I watched him love, and I watched him uh, inspire me and influence me over the years. And so today, you know, I hope that in just some small way that I can carry on that tradition, and I can uh, I can be the type of man, the type of father, uh, grandfather, type of pastor that that inspires people to want to do just a little bit better. I really pray, and I I know that sometimes I fall short of that, and I'm very aware, very aware of of those shortcomings in my life. It doesn't keep me from trying to do better. I want to do better. You know, the role of fatherhood has been stripped away from so many. There probably, I'm sure, are folks that are sitting in our it's today that grew up maybe without a father figure in your life. And so many families, that you know, our society today is just kind of a do whatever feels good in the moment. Don't worry about the consequences until they sneak up on you at some point. But the role that, that we play as men, the role that we play as fathers, uh, is a critical and a crucial role, and it's worth fighting for. I want you to understand that today. You know, I look across this crowd today, and I see some men that have sacrificed to be here today. I see some men that have sacrificed to bring their children into the house of the Lord. I've seen some men that come when they have no support at home helping them, and they still, they love God and they care enough. I'm telling you today, what you are doing matters. That is huge. I think that we ought to give every single dad in this place one more hand clap, amen, just for being in the house of the Lord today. Let me get into the word of the Lord. First Timothy, if you want to stand very quickly, it's just a couple of short verses. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 and 12 says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things. 
and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Get it in your grip and don't let it go. Lay hold on it. Whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I just want to speak to you, to our men, to our fathers here today, message that I'm entitled, Measure Up. Measure Up. God bless you. You may be seated today. Probably not something that you've given too much thought to. It's just such a part of our life. But our world is just one that depends very much on a system of secure and unchanging measurements. Almost everything that you can possibly imagine is bought, sold, traded according to some standard of measurement that it goes by. Can you imagine with me today if our world had no standards of measurements? What our world would possibly look like? I mean, the architect decides he's going to build a skyscraper. Maybe this is what happened at the Tower of Pisa. We'll just eyeball it. That's good enough. Never broke out a tape measure. Never brought out a ruler or an angle. Never measured a board or anything like that. It's just, just eyeballed everything. Nothing was really measured. Or how about if you pulled up to the pharmacy or walked into the, the drugstore and you went up to your pharmacist and your, your medicine that's very important to you, uh, they put it in the bag and they hand it across to you and they, the, the pharmacist says to you, well, you know what, I, I, think we, I think we're pretty close. I, I think I got the dosage pretty close to, to what you, you're looking for. You would stop them and say, I ain't touching this stuff until you get it right, wouldn't you? You're not going to overdose me or you're not going to give me too little. It's got to be effective. It's got to be the right amount. We've come to expect good measurements on just about everything. We, we go down to the, the local gas station. We walk in and we get, what, a 32-ounce soda or a 16-ounce soda or a 44-ounce soda, whatever it is. The bigger, the better. We, we measure everything. If you send somebody in, what do you tell them? Get me, get me the, the big one. Get me the, the 44 ounce, or I only want uh, the 20-ounce soda, or whatever it is. And We, we get a, a quarter pounder down at the local burger shop. And does anybody else get a little bit ticked off like when you get the filet of fish and you take, don't ever take the top bun off. It's depressing. But if you do, take that top bun off like I do. You will not find a whole piece of cheese on your filet of fish. I'm not going to mention any certain restaurants in town. I think you can figure out what I'm talking about. But I, I think I could handle it a little, a little bit better, honestly, if I looked down. And it was at least cut in a square. But, but you can tell where some kid back there that's making minimum wage took a, a piece of cheese and he ripped it in half and slapped it. To me, that's just like, you're not giving me what I'm paying for. That, that's just the way I feel about it. In my mind, I'm thinking, he's probably back there ripping half off and chewing the rest of it up. And 
Pay me minimum wage, will you? I eat my weight and cheese back here. We'll see who wins this one. We have government agencies that go around doing tests on various devices to make sure that companies are being honest in the selling of goods. And when you go to the gas pumps, you'll see at the gas pump, there's a little seal on there that ensures that when you pump a gallon of gas into your car and it says that you pump one gallon, that you actually are getting one gallon of gas. Very important to me, gas being as expensive as what it is today, you better give me. I'm the guy that sits there, and even after I, I've turned the pump off, I get those last few drops. You know, I jiggle it around. I'm like, I'm getting everything that I can out of that pump. I'm not paying $3.69 a gallon and not getting every last drop. I want it all. Don't leave any in the hose. Always remember what I was told in shop class. Maybe you've heard this. If you've done any carpentry work at all and been around your father or an uncle or somebody that, that was teaching you a little bit, what do they teach you when you go to pull that tape measure out and you measure that board? What, what do they always say? Measure twice and cut once, right? What are they trying to drill into you? That it's important if you want it to fit the first time, if you don't want a whole lot of extra scraps laying around and wood that you cut that's too short or you want to get the job done as quickly as possible, it is worth your time to take a measurement and make sure that that measurement is correct before you commit to sawing that board in half. Make sure it's right. It's important we put high value on proper measurements. We've got tape measures for inches and feet. We've got odometers in our cars so we can tell how many miles that we've put on so we know when to get our next oil change. And we've got scales to step on uh, for weights and measurements like that. And we've got tablespoons and teaspoons and cups and quarts and gallons. We measure everything. How do we measure what makes a man? How do we measure that? And more importantly, because sometimes we can't, we can look at somebody, we do evaluate them, we measure them, but to what standard are we measuring them or ourselves by? And is that standard of measurement, is it true? Is it accurate? is what we're measuring a man by going to stand the test of time. The text that I read today originates from the epistles. Paul is speaking to Timothy. I talked about this a lot. I, I love his letters to Timothy because I, I see him looking at Timothy almost as a, as a son, you know, as a, as a young man coming up. Paul's nearing the end. He's He's fought the battles. He, he's He's done the work. He's put in the time. He's, he's gone through the suffering. He's, he's had everything under the sun practically happen to him. And now he's looking at this young man, and I know that in his mind, oftentimes we look at somebody else that's coming up, and we think that we see them through the lens of our own life. And so I have to wonder if Paul looked at Timothy and said, you know what, if he has to go through the same thing that I had to go through, is he going to make it? Will he measure up? I believe that Paul looked at Timothy and he said, there's some things that I've got to say before I go. Just like there's some things that us as parents, we know our kids know it. For 
crying out loud, you know, they're 30 years old, and we'll still tell them certain things. Like, I'll still tell our kids, okay, you got to be safe going home. Be safe going home. Be safe traveling home. They're going to be safe. They know, they, they, they're grown up, but, but it just makes me feel better, right? My mom would always say, every time I'd walk across the, the street to go to school, be careful crossing the road every morning. I'm like, Mom, I'm like 15 years old. I know to be careful. If I've survived all these years, I know to be careful. But it wasn't about me. It was about her. It made her feel better to say it. And Paul is talking to Timothy, and he's got some things to say, and he's putting emphasis really on those that are in spiritual leadership because he sees in Timothy that this is a young man that has a future in God. And so I want you to understand today that that's not not talking about you as men. That's not not talking about you as a father because you are the spiritual leader of your homes. Hear me today, you have a role to fulfill. And so what Paul is telling Timothy applies to every single man in this place today. There is a role, and it's not an, always an easy role for us to fill, but it is a necessary role. Every man that comes into the kingdom of God is designated as a man of God, whether he's in a pulpit, has a microphone in his hand or not. I'm not the only man of God in this place. I have a voice, and God has called me to a certain specific role to fulfill in this church, and I'm doing my best to fulfill it, but I am not the only man of God in this place. Every single one of you are the bishops of your household. It is up to you to fulfill the role that only you can fill in your homes, and therefore we have responsibilities. I have responsibilities that God never intended for my wife to fulfill. He intended for me to fulfill. Why do we lock our doors at night more than we do in the daytime? I mean, some of you, maybe you keep your door locked all hours of the day. You got small children, you want to make sure they don't accidentally sneak out. But typically, we always go around. We don't go out throughout the day and just go around and check and make sure all the doors are locked. You know, if a door is unlocked here, there are the back doors so we can get out or go out into the garage or whatever. Typically, maybe the front door is locked during the daytime. But at night, my wife will always say to me, she said, are all the doors locked? Why do we do that? Why do we make sure at night that, that we make sure that the door is locked? I'll tell you why. It's because we are more vulnerable when we are sleeping than when we are awake. It's a time in our daily 24 hours where our guard is let down. We lay our head down to sleep. We close our eyes, and I don't know, some of you are light sleepers like my wife. She would probably wake up, but when I'm out, honey, I'm out. I would submit to you today that it's not just the physical doors of our homes that need to be locked. We've been given the role and responsibility to lock down spiritual doors of our homes as well. Every window, every door. Amen. Until we can rest knowing that God has blessed what 
he has given us, and it is secure. It is important to me that my family is saved. It is important to me of what takes place in my home. It is important to me how we operate in this church. And sometimes people don't understand that. Oh, it's just a little here. It's just one window unlocked. It's just one door that we forgot. It's too much trouble. I'm too tired to get up and go lock it. And what, what the Bible says, if the if the thief knew what time that the, that the watchman would not be awake, that that's the time that he would go in. Let me tell you, there is a prowler that goes around uh, he, he's like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. In my mind, I see him go around jiggling door handles. I see him go around checking windows. I'm seeing if he's looking to try to get into my house, and I want to make sure at the man of my house that my house is the place where my family can be safe. There's a, an old parable was told by a Haitian pastor about a story where there was a man that wanted to sell his house for just a couple thousand dollars, and there was another man in the area that desperately wanted to buy that home, but he did not have the means to buy it. So he went to the man and began to bargain with him, and he eventually got him down to about half the price, and he paid him $1,000 for the house, but there was a stipulation that went along with, with that, and, and, and the man said, if I ever want to buy the house back, you have to sell it back to me. I'm selling it to you for $1,000. And so the man said, well, okay, I'll, I'll do that. But, but uh, he said, I'll, I'll sell it to you for $1,000, but there's, there's one stipulation. He said, I still own the nail that's driven in, the large nail that's driven in over the front door. I said, that sounds like a good deal to me. I can't see why that would ever be a bother. You want to own a piece of the house, whatever. So a few years went past, and the man came back, and he said, I, I, I want to buy the house back. And the man was like, I'm not selling it back to you. He said, no, that was the deal. If I ever wanted to buy it back, I'm not selling it back to you. I own this house. This is my house, and you're not getting it back. And so the man, the man said, okay, but I still own the nail. He said, yeah, you can, whatever, you can have the nail. So the man went out and found a dead carcass of an animal, and he went and hung it up on the nail that he owned. It wasn't just a few short days before you couldn't even stand to be inside that house. It became inhabit uninhabitable. The man had to move out, so the other man got the house back. I'll tell you that story to tell you this. I don't want to give the devil one single nail in my home. Amen. As men of God, we need to make sure that he owns nothing. Not one board, not one stick, not one pebble laying out in the yard, not one nail anywhere. I want God to have full control over my home so God can seal up everything that's inside because what lives in my home is the most precious thing in my life. So we're measured as men by certain things biblically. Paul uses the Greek word when he's speaking to Timothy. We get the English word fugitive from the word, literally meaning to seek safety by flight. 
They say there's two responses that a man will have, fight or flee, right? One of the two is going to kick in. There's a few things that God says, I don't want you to even try to fight them. You just run from them. You run. And Paul understood that, so he's telling Timothy some words of wisdom. And he says, Timothy, I know you're probably young. You're feeling full of yourself. You've got lots of energy, lots of drive, lots of passion. But son, listen to me. There's some fights that you just can't get into with the enemy. There's some things you just got to run away from. Not everything you, you can stand up and be tough on because there are some things that will take you down. You were never built or equipped to handle them. So the number one thing that a man of God is measured by is what he flees from. Paul told us we're to flee from some things. Flee from fornication. Flee from idolatry. Flee from covetousness and the love of money. Flee from youthful lust. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But when it comes to certain things, you don't try to stand there and, and bargain with it. You don't try to stand there and resist it. You don't put it off. You're not stronger. You're not tougher. There are some things that the wisest thing that you can do as a man is to get as far away from it as you possibly can. Still good advice for this generation. First Timothy chapter 6, Paul's talking about fleeing from, from greed, the clutches of greed. He introduces the subject in 1 Timothy. He's telling Timothy, don't get caught up in becoming greedy. Don't be caught up in always desiring more. He said, godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world, and we're carrying nothing out with us. We came in naked, and we're going to leave the, the same way. Or We come in with, with our empty pockets, and when we leave, we're not going to leave with full pockets. You're going to exit this world the same as you came into it with nothing. It's a lesson that we must remember. Flee from. The second thing that the man of God is measured by is what he follows after. That's things we need to run from, but as we're running from those things, we're following something else that's better. Some things that we need to guard ourselves against to stay away completely from, and there's other things that we need to be trying to apprehend, trying to do better, trying to catch up, trying to to make a bigger part of our world, a bigger part of our life. And the word that Paul uses gives the indication that it's to be a lifelong pursuit of these things. And, and, and we need to make it a goal as men to achieve these things that Paul said. He said, you need to seek after righteousness. You need to seek after godliness. You need to pursue greater faith. You need to pursue love. Oh, as men, we love those that, that love us and we love our children. We love our family and those are 
that are tight-knit, but I believe Paul is telling Timothy, hey, you got to love beyond just your inner circle. You've got to be able to reach out and expand your love to the lost. You've got to expand the love of God to your enemy. You've got to reach out and do good to those that use you. It goes beyond a human love, this godly man. If we're truly seeking to be men of God, our love must extend past that small inner circle in our life. He said, seek patience, seek meekness, gentleness. Here's what happens when we truly seek after those attributes, it will create in us a focus. It will hone us in on what God needs us to do, what God needs us to be. There's so many things out there. We were with the bishops a few months ago. I think over the years I've developed ADHD. I don't think I always had it. I used to be able to focus in on things. I'm not claiming ADHD. Nobody's diagnosed me with that. But I just have a tough time just really staying focused. And I think a lot of it has to do with the cell phone that I carry in my pocket, you know. And I'm looking at little clips. And if it's longer than three minutes long, if you ever send me a video and you say, hey, Pastor, you really need to watch this. It's only two and a half hours long. Rest assured, I will not be watching it. Number one, I don't have two and a half hours to watch watch some video, and number two, I get about uh, 15 people all the time to read this book and watch this thing, and, and I, if I did that, I would have no time to, to do the things that I have to do, and I know there's a lot of great, important things out there, but but I think it's geared my mind to, to just focus for a short amount of time. I don't have a long attention span. But we were with the bishops, and, and I realized this, and, and we were over there, and they had this stuff called focus factor. And so I thought, well, we're at Costco. It's not going to be any cheaper than this. They had a great deal on it. I, I bought a bottle of this. I thought I could use a little mental clarity. I could use a, a little bit of focus. I could use something that claims to help me be able to stay on track and, and, and hold true to the course. I began to take that, and I think it, I think it possibly helped for for a while. I, I did feel a little bit more focused. There's some things that I I take because focus is important. You can't get anything done if you can't focus. We'll be all over the place. A lot of people try to live their life for God that way. And a lot of fathers, they, they live their life that way. They can't stay on track. And so what happens is we teach our children to react and respond in the same way. But I think that God looks at his men. I think that God looks at his children, his fathers, and he says, I want you to stay laser beam focused on me. You lead your family towards me with everything that you have within you and And if you can do these things, it will cause you to be focused upon him. And if you are focused, everything will begin to make sense. The third thing that we are measured by is what we're willing to fight for. What we're willing to fight for. Paul told Timothy, Fight the good fight. I like how he worded that. 
He didn't say fight. Come on, Timothy, fight. No, Joe, he said fight the good fight. Have you ever been in a fight with one of your brothers? Okay, honest kid right there. Yeah, he didn't, didn't hesitate at all. You better, yep, yep. Boys will be boys. I've been in a few scraps myself over the, over the years, none recently. Thank, thank the Lord for that. I don't think I could recover from it nearly as quickly as I could back in my teenage years. But I grew up in a neighborhood full of boys, and it was rough and tumble. And, and we were constantly, you know, uh, out of about nine or ten of us that, that roamed the neighborhood together. Always somebody was saying something. Next thing you know, two brothers would, would get in a fight. That's usually how it began. A couple of the brothers would get in a fight, and then we'd all jump on side. Next thing you knew, we were all squaring off against each other, and there was a fight taking place. Now, looking back on it, it was important in the moment, but, but looking back on it, I can see it was just child's play. How many have ever gotten in a fight, and at the end of it, you're like, that was pointless. I was fighting for I didn't even know what I was fighting for. I've been in a, in a fight before, uh, a scrap or two before, where at the end of it, I, I realized that I was fighting for something that wasn't even a reality. Paul said, don't waste your time fighting things that don't matter, Timothy. Don't waste your time and your energy out there scrapping over things that aren't, aren't worth anything. He said, if you're going to fight, fight the good fight. Friend, let me tell you something today. There are some things worth standing off and going toe-to-toe with the enemy over. My family is worth fighting for. This truth is worth fighting for. The gospel of Jesus Christ is still worth fighting for. I would lay down my life if I had to for the truth. Got to figure out what's important and defend it. A home's going to one day belong to somebody else. A car that I own will one day wind up in a scrapyard. Oh, the thing that, that we love today, given a few years. It turned into rust buckets. Roofs need replaced, and we age to a place where maybe it's not even we're not even capable of living. We're at the age now where like it would have to be the absolute perfect home for us to ever move one more time. It'd have to be that home that sets up on a hill. The front yard has to be faced east so I can watch the sun come up in the morning, and the backyard has to be faced west. Sister Sherry, keep your eyes open. And it's got to be in a price range that is very, very, very Dennis Rice affordable because I've got Dennis Rice's blood flowing through my veins. We're at the age now where... Anything with multiple stories is like, nope. We're, we're not headed in that direction. We're headed the other way. At least I am. My wife, she's still 29 years old. She gets around. She can outwalk me anytime, any place. I mean, she's an incredible, incredible lady. I, I don't know. I don't know how she does it. It's got all this energy up before I am, moving, going, productive all day long, and then we crash at the end of the day, and Man, I'll tell you what, she's got a lot of energy left, so maybe she could handle it. But this old man, 
Now I'm looking, I'm looking for something with a little less maintenance, with a little less work involved, fewer stairs, not more. Much money as you might have in your bank account, eventually your will will give it to somebody else. But we fight. We spend so much time, Brother Charlie. So much time, effort, thought, all of it goes. And we should, we, we should get a certain amount of our time. I understand that you have to be wise. You, you have to lay up things for the future. Yeah, somebody said, you, you, you live like God is coming back today, but you prepare like he's never coming back. That's just using a little bit of wisdom. I think it's foolish for us to, to not plan for a rainy day. I think that's when emergencies happen that wipe us out. But that's not what I am willing to fight for. These are just things that help us navigate and live life, but they're, they're not the most important thing because they are not eternal things. They disintegrate. They fall apart. They break. Eventually, they belong to somebody else or they don't exist at all. The Bible says, Lay up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't corrupt, where thieves cannot break in and steal. If you're going to fight for something, hear me, fight for something that's eternal. If you're going to hit your knees and pray, and you're going to pray, God, give us the new house. Give us the new car. Don't forget to hit your knees and pray and say, and God, like Job, pray over your children. Go sacrifice over your family. Call their names out before the Lord because you're not taking that car with you and you're not taking that. You're not going to need those things over there. But you know what's going to make me happy is if we can have a big family reunion around the throne of God and I look over and I see my daughters and I see my sons and I see my grandchildren right there. I want to wrap my arms around them. I want to see my dad. I want to be there with my mother and my grandparents. I want to see all of those that are, those are the things that are eternal. Fight for what is eternal. If you hear nothing else I've got to say, put your foot down and take a stand for things that will last forever. Godly man is measured by what he fights for. So fight for your own personal identity as a man. Don't let this society strip that away from you. Called to be men. Like the battle for personal holiness. The world will try to tell you it doesn't matter. The world will try to tell you it's antiquated and outdated. Friend, let me tell you something. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. I know there's times when that things try to creep in and they'll rob us of what is true and what is right. Don't give up. Don't give up eternity for something that is so trivial. Fight for faith. Fight for your faith. Our music would come today. Close out with this one final story about somebody that many of us know 
You just know the Mangan family. Elder Brother Mangan. <laughs> that was his thing. You ever go to because of the time to watch him on a video? Brother Anthony was a pastor by the time that we ever went to anything like because of the times or ever went down to Louisiana was a part of any of that. And Elder Brother Mangan, he would set up there and you watch this massive church, you know, that could seat 5,000 people and all these, all these people would come in. I don't know, back then they were running 2,500, 3,000, they're probably well up over that now. That church was built by this man of prayer. One day, Brother Anthony Mangan and his father-in-law, Brother Lumpkin, and his son were out fishing. Gentry was his son's name. Gentry's now the pastor. Brother Anthony is bishop, and Elder G.A. Mangan has now passed on, gone on to his reward. Sister Vesta's still, I don't know how old she is, but she's, she's something else. She's like a lightning bolt. They were out fishing on the lake. Earlier that week, Brother G.A. Mangan felt the Lord impress him. He was often known to be at the church praying, and he said the Lord impressed him even, impressed him enough to fast for his son. He kept feeling like something was going on, <coughs> and he called Anthony, and he would say, everything okay? And he was like, yeah, Dad. Yeah, everything's fine. Everything's going, you feeling okay, son? <laughs> like, I don't know. Should I feel sick? I, I don't I can't, I don't know what to tell you, Dad. Everything seems to be fine. But the Lord just kept impressing G.A. Mangan, pray, pray, pray. Later on in the week, Brother Anthony Gentry, his son, and his father-in-law, Brother Lumpkin, were out in a boat. Boat caught fire in the engine, and the engine had a small explosion. Knocked them all out of the boat. They were all out of the boat. The boat was was useless, it was lifeless, and here they were, Brother Anthony's probably in his 40, 45 years old. Gentry was about, I think, the story said around 10, 10 years old or so, and, and then Brother Lumpkin was in his 60s and not in good health. I want you to imagine this scenario. You're out in the middle of a big lake, your boat is on fire, and you're standing there, you got your son on one side, 10 years old, and you got your ailing father-in-law on the other side, 60s and not well. Do you not think that you would be a little bit nervous about how am I gonna keep them all together? How am I gonna make sure nobody drowns here today? They were floating in that, in that lake and just so happened that there was a boat that saw the explosion and it came over, wound up picking them up, taking them to safety. But what if, what if that boat would not have been there? Somewhere along the way, God said, I need a father that knows how to pray. Would you stand with me today? I'll tell you what I want to do at the end of this service. I want every dad to gather in down around the front here, and I want you to lay your hands on me as many as you can. And I want you to ask the Lord... I want you to ask the Lord to guide the hand of your pastor and to protect the mind of your pastor. 
as the man of God, as the voice of God in, in this church, I need clear direction. I need to be able to hear the sound of the voice of the Lord. I need to be able to respond when God reaches out and says it's time to pray. I need to be that kind of man. I want to be a better pastor for you. I want to be a better friend to you. I need to be something that maybe I'm not quite there yet. I may need for God to just move me up just a little bit. And I depend upon you as the fathers of this church to hold me up in prayer. I wonder if you'd gather in right now. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.